0: You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM.
1: And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. We're chatting today about public participation, the importance thereof, and getting involved in shaping your democracy. And um, if you are a qualified social worker or psychologist, then perhaps you should take a listen to this. The High FM Helpline is looking for for volunteer counsellors to join our Helpline team. If you are qualified in trauma or in grief, or in crisis counselling The Chai fm helpline Would love to welcome you on board Please email Info at dot With your contact details That's info at dot And We were chatting about The green paper which um, Seems to have been uh, withdrawn Which is actually a fantastic Fantastic uh, news this morning To wake up to But You know, and there's always a but, does this mean that the proposals and suggestions put forward by the minister are now shelved or buried? Well, perhaps not. Joining us today to chat about this is Krista Hutting, Deputy Director of the Free Market Foundation and member of the Advisory Council for the Initiative for African Trade and Prosperity. He's also a senior fellow at the African Liberty at African Liberty. Good afternoon, Christo. Welcome to the Dear Parliament Show. Hi, Rob. Welcome on board. Fantastic. Likewise, I'm sure. So I guess you, like me, also woke up to some great news this morning and hearing that the Minister uh, Lindy Zulu had pulled the, uh, withdrawn that, um, quite questionable green paper. How, how did you feel when you heard that news? <laughs>
0: Um, I think those of us who consider ourselves liberals, maybe we get a bit too excited when some of this news comes out. So at first, I was, I was excited and happy. And of course, and it's testament to the work that you, that you do through DRSA and other organizations, I think, especially like AfriForum who, who voiced their concerns around the green paper and the proposals and who worked back very hard. It also shows you that South Africans, you know, in general came out very strongly uh, against The green paper, so I was excited, but I do think, you know, that that excitement should be measured with some sort of uh, caution because I think these proposals will come back in a new form in the future. I think the green paper is consistent with government's general ideology of state interference and trying to own more of the economy, as it were. And I think these proposals will come back in a new form in the future.
1: No doubt, And, and we've actually seen evidence of that happening. Throughout uh, any, all the legislative processes, when the public gets involved, creates immense pressure on on government to to withdraw uh, ridiculous proposals. We've seen them resurface in in other areas, in disguised under different names, and sometimes even hidden in other other pieces of of legislation. But you know, if we look into the the detail of of this actual green paper, then I don't think the media. In, in any way has really focused on, on the actual detail. It's all been major focus around the, the pension, the mandatory pension. But there are really concerning pieces of, or suggestions or proposals within, within this paper. One being, uh, well, from my point of view, it, it looks like a, a total consolidation of the whole social security, uh, sort of atmosphere and, but it does have really concerning uh, implications it It seems to be a, a great push towards uh, general socialism in 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 the broader sense do you Do you get that same same kind of feeling
0: Yes I, I definitely agree with that. I think it again you know, it goes back to ideology, and for some people they might be surprised at proposals like this and think you know how can government suggest sort of such irrational plans to try and manage? all pension funds and all retirement funds in one sort of thing, but it's part of the government's view that it, you know, for, and, and some people will say, in the sort of benign view that it, it needs to take care of its people and it needs to look after us and it needs to make sure that we invest and we save. But if this sort of thing goes through, and of course now with this current green paper, it won't in its current form, but maybe in other ways around pension funds, retirement funds, uh, prescribed assets, it'll go through in other ways, but it's... It's going to hurt the most the people who it's intended to to help, you know. So it's going to hurt people who can't invest offshore as much as others. It's going to hurt people who are forced now to invest in a state-managed scheme which by any objective measure would not deliver the returns that you can get in private sector options. And that's not to say that we all always make the correct decisions with our investments, of course. And, you know, some of us, even day to day, we don't even know what we're going to eat for lunch. So we're indecisive with what we do. But that doesn't therefore mean that central planners and bureaucrats have the knowledge to manage our investment decisions and our funds on our behalf. That's up to us to decide, maybe with ourselves, our families, our communities, and to then see where we can get better returns on our investments. I also think given the country's sort of performance the last 10 years, we see more and more reports of capital leaving the country. We see a 44% unemployment rate. We see the trouble with the SOEs. To then force people to invest in a state-managed fund, to me is, I guess, a double whammy, because the government on the one hand has devastated the economy through its policies and ideas, and this was the case, long before COVID came. Of course, COVID and lockdowns have exposed all of that. But to then force people to invest in a state-managed fund, you say, you know, the government is going to implement ideas and policies that, that hurt the economy, that that limit growth, and then you're forced to invest more of your money in this atmosphere where you get even less return. So to me, that's... I mean, talk about trying to centrally manage and control people's lives, and ultimately you hurt their, their economic prospects the most. If we're serious about things like... Uh, positive transformation and an inclusive, growing economy. You need to give people choices to invest where they can get more returns so they can be better investments, long-term investments, for not just themselves, but obviously for their children and grandchildren.
1: What you have to look at, though, is this government has placed this or these suggestions really aimed at the people who are unable to to invest on, on their own accord. However, they would still be placing this into a government-managed fund, and then the government would, would determine how that, uh, that fund is actually invested, which is, which brings worries about how government has managed previous funds, including the government employees pension fund managed by the PRC. And we've seen the PRC invest heavily in failing state-owned entities and institutions and sometimes unbelievably crazy, crazy ideas, which have, offer zero return. So, It's rather concerning that government would put such a proposal forward. Where do you think, where do you think that this actually originated from? I I struggle to think that it actually originated from within the halls of our parliament. It must be from, from somewhere else. That's just my hunch, though. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
0: I mean, we, we often read and I'm sure, I mean, people such as yourself, I'm sure many of the listeners will, will read from different sources now because I think it's becoming more uh, mainstream, as it were, but reading about, different factions within the ruling party, different sort of nodes of power and ideas, I think for all of them, in essence, they all think that the state should play a central central role in people's lives. It just varies sort of by degree. So, I mean, I I would agree with your, your, your sort of starting point that it didn't originate necessarily in Parliament, but I think it definitely originated within the sort of ideological home of the ruling party, as it were. There's also a pragmatic into this of course and the more desperate the ruling party and by extension the government becomes and uh, you know we know with the credit rating which is at junk status we know that the 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 uh, sort of fiscal framework is under a lot of pressure because of as you pointed out things like soes and the debt that they have accumulated all these things come together to place a lot of pressure on on the government and they need to find other sources of funding uh, which is very funny because they implement policies that drive away capital and and taxpayers and revenue, but then on the other hand they they scramble to get even more of that tax revenue and capital investment as possible. It's sort of not that one wants to necessarily give them recommendations and ideas as such, but if you want if you want to collect more tax revenue, then encourage and implement policies that that help people actually earn a living and raise themselves up the social ladder so that they can earn more and if they consider it a good thing obviously they'll pay more they'll pay more in tax revenue and then the state will be able to do at least some sort of social welfare stuff like that i think we would all agree that we want the government to help those who really can't help themselves we don't want it to, to necessarily bail out things like saa and eskom companies which should stand on their own two feet and especially when saa is just used by the politically connected to fly around The country and the world in first class, whereas the state should be using more, I would argue, all of that bailout money to improve water services, basic provisions, uh, nutrition, maybe things like that for people who really, you know, who really can't, who really don't have any other choice. I think many people would support that kind of thing. So, yeah, I I think regardless of where this green paper idea, the ideas in the green paper originated from, I think we are going to see more forms of it in the future from an ever more desperate government. So we should be, on the one hand, glad that government is becoming so desperate that that it's just showing its hand in these different ways, and we can fight back quite effectively. But on the other hand, we should remember that the more it sort of gets pressed into a corner, quote-unquote, the more it will try these sorts of very outlandish radical ideas to salvage what effectively effectively become a sort of a cadre... Uh, friend for friend, you know, handshakes in dark corridors, kind of setup.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, if history has given us any insight into that, it will definitely happen. What what I do find fascinating about this um, green paper is that it is pretty much a blueprint for what we can expect going going forward. And in in a way, it's it's almost a a, a blessing in disguise that government put this out at such an early stage because it has provided fantastic. Fantastic insight, and we can actually plan because we know that these these suggestions and policies and, and uh, whatever's contained in here will rear their heads uh, pretty much soon in in other forms. So we can prepare ourselves to go to actually tackle this head on. One of these suggestions in there is uh, around the NHI, and uh, as as we've seen in many reports, including from from your organisation, that that is completely unaffordable for for the country as it stands we simply do not have the funds to get something like that going it's it's uh, quite interesting to see how they brought all of these funds the road accident fund the nhi um the, the social grant the sassa and uh, several others all in, into to one group it's almost as if government is creating a a significantly large uh, pool of cash reserves which they can then, then draw from. Um, I, I don't know what what your thoughts would be on that, especially on the on the NHI. How, how do you see that that working out in future? Will we see that coming into play?
0: I think we'll see some sort of form of NHI. I think again, the government has painted itself into this corner where it has to deliver. Some sort of universal health care from the state, as it were. I mean, as we've often pointed out, South Africa does have relatively good universal health coverage compared to peer countries. It's obviously by no means perfect, and neither is the private sector on its own perfect. There are improvements that can be brought, and that was part of the health market inquiry a few years ago and government effectively ignored that. I don't know if the NHI maybe... Uh, because government very much wants to be seen to be doing something, quote-unquote, and a lot of these things like the NHI, expropriation without compensation, this green paper, these things are sort of shortcuts for government to be able to say, oh, look, we've done this, we're, we're, we're listening to you, we care for you, we're going to do what we can to fund you know everything, to provide everything you might need, without wanting to do the, the hard work of policy On the one hand, policy, proper policy research and the possible cost implications and societal implications of these policies. And then also, you know, just realizing that running something like the NHI will cost hundreds of billions, which the country cannot afford to spend, especially not with our junk credit rating. Yeah, to go back to the original question, I think we'll get some sort of NHI. I think government wants to be seen to be doing something. I do think some of the bigger medical, private medical schemes... And hospital groups and that kind of thing that they will, they will come to the table as it were with government and say, you know, let's try and do this together. We can administer this. We can run this. How can we do it? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, to try and sort of uh, maybe inhibit government's worst tendencies. I mean, one can question these different strategies. Is that the right kind of strategy that you sort of want to work with government to try and prevent them from implementing their worst communist and socialist? tendencies or should you simply mount, you know, massive public campaigns against these things and get all partners involved, is, is that the best way? Maybe it can be a bit of both. I mean obviously we'll see now what the medical aids do. I'm sure some some of them want to administer the NHI so it would be a good it would be a good I guess framework for them to work within with government because then they can say they're administering it, they care about social justice, they care about quote unquote giving back all that kind of stuff. So all these things come together. Um, I think it's all very interesting to try and watch. I mean, I can, if I can recommend anything to people, I would, you know, say, and, and I'm sure they've heard this from other places, that you should at least have some of your, your assets and things like that offshore. So if something like the NHI comes in or the, the or expropriation without compensation, you aren't 100% exposed. To the South African context as it were I mean you don't want to again if the NHI comes in again it's that that sort of thing that I mentioned earlier where if the plan comes in it's not going to improve services for those South Africans who it's ostensibly supposed to help the most those with the necessarily political connections will be able to go overseas and get whatever expensive medical care they can but the NHI is going to destroy all public and private health care the public health care, which is still somewhat functional. And the majority of South Africans who are black are going to be forced to stay in the country and to go to hospitals and clinics and things like that, which are falling apart. I don't think one, and this is, you know, with the the Free Market Foundation, we obviously come from a classically liberal perspective, but you don't solve the problems of big government by, by sort of putting in more big government into the issue. We need to examine... What regulations and licensing issues are in the healthcare sectors at the moment, which make healthcare more expensive, which prevent access to a level where it could be better, and then remove those first. You know, that idea of sort of government getting out of the way first will do a lot more good than just pumping money into a centrally managed healthcare system. I mean, one can point to countries like the UK, Canada, and say, oh, they've got free healthcare and all that. But they also have very high taxes and they have very long waiting times. And then you run into the issue, which you've seen in, in South Africa and around the world with COVID-19, where nurses and doctors are put in the position of where they have to decide who gets to live and who gets to die. I mean, do we really want to subject our healthcare care workers to that sort of situation month in, month out for the next 20 years kind of thing? Even if we manage to retain our healthcare workers, and nurses, which is another issue. I think it's uh, solidarity have come out with research in the last week that indicates if the NHI is implemented, um, the majority of South Africa's doctors and nurses will leave the country, and we we simply can't afford that. So, you know, we'll get the NHI in some sort of form. I think it will be destructive regardless, and people will leave, unfortunately. Um, And again, it just indicates to governments ideological views of with it has to manage all aspects of the economy and our lives for our own good
1: absolutely and i think if if anything is a reflection on on how the NHI will be will be managed we need look no further than than the rollout of of the vaccine or the vaccine rollout program which has been an absolute right. disaster from from any any perspective
0: you are listening to dear parliament with rob hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. I'm chatting today with Christo Hutting from the Free Market Foundation about that green paper that has luckily and thankfully been, been withdrawn by, by the minister. Christo, you mentioned something rather, rather interesting earlier on there that was prescribed assets. Do you, do you think that this paper was perhaps prescribed assets, just uh, cleverly disguised under a social benefit scheme?
0: Yes, I think that a very good analysis and a very good point. I definitely think this kind of thing is a, is a certain kind of form of prescribed assets and indeed a form of expropriation without compensation. We see EWC is also in the healthcare sector in the form of national health insurance, but definitely here in the form in in, in, this, in the area of pensions and investments, um, it's in this in the proposals in the green paper. It's, it points to, I mean, you know, it's, and this comes from the many people in the private sector as well who call on government to engage in these infrastructure and investment drives and these grand schemes and plans to to both stimulate economic activity and to create jobs. And to do all of that, you need capital. You need some sort of, you need a way to fund it all. Well, if a lot of capital leaves the country and if foreign direct investment flows into the country are lower than they were before, U.S. government need to find other ways to get those necessary funds, and therefore, one of the ways that you'll do that is through going after South Africa's very big private investments and tensions. So, I think you're absolutely on on point with with that analysis of these these proposals as a form of prescribed assets.
1: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it does make sense if you if you look at our, our government is struggling to raise capital, as as you said. Not only through through investments, but also on the loan market as well. The, the government is subject to because of the credit rating a a significant increase in in um, repayment rates and uh, interest rates, which is which is unfortunate. But given the way the government is managing its finances, is not surprising at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I do think it is. I agree with you. I think it is definitely. Um, another form of prescribed assets, but there could be something more more sinister involved in that, and I think you alluded to that earlier on as well. It is total control of everyone 's lives in in these in these different different outcomes and um, i don 't know there just seems so many sinister approaches in this quite comprehensive document that we should perhaps sit down one day and go through it in its in its entirety but yeah what's what does the future hold for for South africans when it when it comes to finances and and the economy in in your in your view?
0: Some days I find myself on the more optimistic side and other days on the more negative side. this goes to the very first you know thing we talked about should one be excited that the green paper has been <laughs> uh, pu- uh, uh, pulled, pulled back or or not, and I think there's always a whole range of, of facts at play. I mean just yesterday we had the latest financials from Escom. You know, the country's biggest state and enterprise, massive drag on the fiscus and on the country's sort of future credit ratings and financial stability. And we see that its debt has been reduced by about 80 billion. It's still on around, I think, between 350 and 400 billion. So there are hints of progress. There are hints of the right kind of reforms. I mean, I know, I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about structural reforms, but we should keep in mind we should always want the right kind of structural reforms it doesn't help if we get structural reforms that just increase the government's power over the economy, we should have reforms that allow private sector activity and job creation and investment and positive transformation and an inclusive economy we have for example the, now the gazetting of the uh, allowing um, self-generation up to 100 megawatts, I mean that's that's another good hint and another sort of point in the right direction on the other hand, we still have policies in place like EWC, NHI. Um, as we've said, we think these these uh, green paper proposals will come back in new form. So you have on the one hand reasons for optimism, on the other hand reasons for, for pessimism. I think one should be very careful not to put all of one eggs one's eggs in one basket. So don't just have everything in South Africa and also don't just have things offshore. I mean... Who knows in what direction the u s is going? Maybe they're going to have a, de- a a debt crisis at some point, given how much money they've they've spent in the last two years on on stimulus um both through through President former President Trump and now President Biden. a lot of money just being pumped into the system. Does it mean it's actually going to work eventually, or is it going to come back to bite the u s? So I think you should try and diversify your assets, sort of head your head your bet as it were. I think I still think South Africa has a massive upside if the right policies are put in place and if one can manage to sort of weather the storm, as it were. I think you can do very well here and your family can do very well. South Africa has everything going for it. I just think for the next 10 years, it's going to be especially rocky. Um, And then, of course, we have the prospect possibly of some sort of Cape independence, Cape secession on the horizon and how that will factor in. I think that's still quite a ways away, but it's also part of one's thinking. and, And I think... Being as informed as possible helps you make the right decision. So the best thing you can do is, you know, things like engaging with DRSA, uh, the Free Market Foundation, other organizations, and just getting, uh, your information from different sources and trying to make as informed a decision as possible about your, your future actions. The best advice I can give is don't, don't sort of stick your head in the sand and hope that, you know, things will just come right. Things will come right if citizens and civil society Hold government to account and take the necessary steps to push South Africa in the right direction
1: <laughs> you, 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 it 's magic to my ears to, to hear to hear you say that because i couldn 't agree more it 's definitely if we sit back and, and let government um, leave government to their own devices. We can only expect a, a more centralized approach and a more totalitarian approach from, from them. And then in that case, we'd have no one but ourselves, selves to blame. It is, it's our duty as citizens to get in, get involved and, and listen to the, these organizations that, that do provide an objective view as to what's going on. And to be quite honest, I think this whole COVID experience has, has taught civil society to uh, dig deeper have a look at what's actually behind what government is saying and we're seeing that from a, a global perspective and and a local perspective it's the it isn't the great reset in in my mind it's the great awakening of of civil society and there are opportunities to be to be found within any such such awakening